You are listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. Awaken Church is a diverse community of authentic love and hope where you can belong as you change and change as you follow Jesus. A few years ago, I was serving as the associate pastor of a church in Coral Springs, Florida, and uh, and there I was mostly working with, with youth, uh, teenagers, and young adults, and I had been in youth ministry or associate pastor working with predominantly teenagers and young adults for about a decade or so at this point, and our pastor, great guy, Pastor Bob, great, uh, kind of actually a great mentor of mine in that season as well, the lead pastor of that church would uh, would do sermon series, and in these sermon series, um, he would we would often meet together before it started, and he would kind of give me, here's, here's where we're going here's some scripture what have you you know what creative illustrations uh, can you think of or have you seen or have you used how have you heard other people preach or teach this this type of topic or this scripture and so that was part of our meeting and we were doing this one one time and, and pastor bob said hey well, here's the series and it's on marriage the family and here's on one on parenting one on finances and one on you know he kind of went down like four or five different topics for this series and he said and then there's oh boy this week is there's a, the sex sermon. We're going to hit sex in this this series, and uh, and I said okay. And and Pastor Bob said, you know, it's it's a very touchy topic. We you know usually you don't think about talking, you don't talk about sex in church. You don't really hear sermons on sex, and uh, I and I was like, well, you know, I've been doing ministry predominantly with teenagers and and young adults for for 10 years or so and we teach and preach on sex and sexuality all the time in this context and one of the reasons was i had found through just through my own personal asking of questions that um that really wasn't being taught in the home idea about about sex education so to speak what sex was not being taught in the home uh in any kind of fashion and uh, it and so since we weren't so you know, supposed to be, I guess, t- teaching it at church. Where are our teenage, where are our kids, our teens, our young adults learning about sex? Well, they're learning just by by experimentation. They're learning it from media, from and today social media and pop media, popular culture, and and, and, um, and when they're friends, you know, just talking, having conversations, and just experimenting. And I'm like, that's not the best way to really understand how to have godly relationships, especially when it comes to sex. When it comes to sexuality and so pastor bob said well why don't you take the sex sermon and i said okay and <laughs> and so i did and that sunday when i got up to, to preach um bring that message pastor bob got and got up and he said hey we're continuing our series today on on the family and marriage and and this sunday is a a, a very uh specific topic and we understand it's a kind of a touchy topic and it's the top on the topic of sex and so we have our resident expert, Pastor Steve, is going to come up and bring the message. And I was before I could even begin the sermon, I had to like d- do a disclaimer. Look, I am not an expert on this. And I will give you that same disclaimer today. I'm not an expert in, in sex or sexuality, but I have been married 30 years. I have uh, been, you know, given myself to 25 years or, uh, of study and, and learning the, uh, the way of God and the way of Jesus through Scripture. And so, uh, so I have a little knowledge that I've learned, and I want to share that. And I want to share first of all some stats. And these stats are from here's uh, where you can like find some stats like this: uh, divorcestatistics.org, cdc.gov, 
sad.org, that's S-A-D-D, sad.org, soundvision.com, and triplexchurch.com, that's xxxchurch.com. You can find a lot of stats there that have to do with this kind of topic. Uh, And here's a few of those stats. 67% of college students have been or are sexually active. 67%. Of college students sexually active 19 million new std infections are treated in the united states every year and half of that 19 million are among 15 to 24 year olds that's nine and a half million 15 to 24 year olds in the united states that are treated for stds every year now our country it's often when it comes to divorce and the divorce rate, it's always, you know, you will hear things like, well, 50% of marriages end in divorce and our country is the number one country leading divorce. And it's not quite that dramatic, but it's right up there because our country is consistently year after year in the top three or four countries in divorce. And 39% of marriages uh, end in divorce in the United States. Now, pornography is another part of this issue, and 40 million people visit internet porn sites regularly. 40 million regularly visit pornography sites, and that's not including magazines, which are still a thing, um, movies and DVDs that people may have. This is just the porn sites only. Here's one that gets me as a father. 93% of boys and 62% of girls have seen porn before age 18. 92, 93% of boys and 62% of girls before age 18 have seen pornography. And 47% of Christians are saying pornography is a problem in their home. Now, how do these stats make you feel? Even almost half of people who say we are a Christian home, half of those, 47%, are saying pornography is a big problem here. How do you feel about that? Well, today we're beginning a new series, Love, Sex, and Devotion. It's based on this Old Testament uh, book, this Old Testament thing called Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. And why this series? Well, every fall, uh, we're getting ready to do this again at this time uh, of the Waken Church. We have a, what I call creative offsite where we come together, um, some, some, you know, some of us Bible students or whatever, and, and some creative thinkers, and we come together and we share ideas for sermon series. We pray together. We talk. We discuss. Sometimes we argue. And we come out of this prayerfully seeking a, in, in, in agreement of this is a, a, a kind of a plan, a sermon series that God is leading us into for the next year. And at our last creative offsite, a young college student, a young lady in her uh, like 21 years old or 22, said, um, "Hey, I'm just gonna I'm gonna share this one, and it's just I'm just gonna say it. We need to have a sermon series about sex." We need to know what God has to say about sex, and I was, and everybody's it was there, and there were quite a few other college students that were part of this this time, and they were in agreement. Yes, we do. And I said, okay, okay, well, let's kind of define this a little more here. Are we just talking about? Are we talking about sexuality? Are we talking about marriage? Are we talking about, da- about dating, like uh, and, and, and single folks, like folks that are not in a committed relationship? Are we talking about pre-marriage, or are we talking about a marriage thing? Or are we talking about what are we talking about? And they said all. Of it, just all of it. We need, we need all of it, <laughs> and so that's where how this got kind of got started. The seeds got planted, and it turns out we're going to be in six weeks. We're going to be in the Song of Songs, and what we're going to do is we're actually going to hit kind of a lot of these topics about sexuality, um, pre, uh, bef- you know, 
before you're married, like dating, court, courtship type stuff. We're going to talk about the marriage home. We're going to talk a lot about um, these things that are brought out to us. So really, ultimately, though, what we're seeking is to have godly relationships because God created sex, and it's a beautiful, fulfilling part of being human when experienced according to God's plan. God's the creator, and he has a plan for his creation, and it's beautiful and it's fulfilling when we live according to that plan. So first, I want to give credit to where it's due because I think I, I should do this in this series uh, because a lot of what I've been learning about what the Bible says about sex, and especially Song of Songs, come from a lot of study and a lot of different resources. And so I'm just going to, and I probably won't mention these every week, but I want to go ahead and give a heads up right now as you're as we're beginning this series, here's where some of the content uh, came from, some of the ideas have come from that I'm going to be sharing with you today and over the next six weeks. Uh, the resources by Tommy Nelson, Craig Groeschel, Mark Gunger, and Rob Bell. And if you need specifics, you know, email me or, or send me a message, and, and I will give you like the p- specific book or video or whatever uh, talk sermon that I picked up some ideas from. Man, we, and just to come back to this, and the reason why is because I'm not an expert, and so all these resources have helped because sex is definitely a difficult subject for our culture, but it's, it's a super difficult subject in the church. So let's get into the Song of Songs. Today we're going to be reading in chapter 1. We're going to read through the first six verses of chapter 2. And it's kind of, just so you know, Song of Songs is not like the rest of a lot of the Bible. The Song of Songs is a play, a musical play. It's basically, you could call it, you know, uh, my girl, my guy, because it goes back and forth, the parts, the girl sings a part, the guy sings a part. And what I'll do is, but just for the sake of understanding, um, as we go through, I will denotate when the different parts are taking place, when the different people in the play are actually speaking, or really they were singing, but I'm not going to sing this to, <laughs> for us today. All right, so let's get into it. Um, This is Solomon's Song of Songs, more wonderful than any other. The young woman begins, Kiss me and kiss me again. For your love is sweeter than wine. Man, what a what a way to begin what a way to begin a musical play that's found in the Bible. Kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. How pleasing is your fragrance. Your name is like the spreading fragrance of scented oils. No wonder all the young women love you. Take me with you. Come, let's run. The king has brought me into his bedroom. Bedroom. Excuse me. And then there's a chorus of young women of Jerusalem. And they sing, How happy we are for you, O king. We praise your love even more than wine. The young woman continues, You are right to how right they are to adore you. I am dark but beautiful. O women of Jerusalem, dark as the, 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 the tents of Kedar, dark as the curtains of Solomon's tents. Don't stare at me because I'm dark. The sun has darkened my skin. My brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyards, so I couldn't care for myself, my own vineyard. Tell me, my love, where are you leading your flock today? Where will you rest your sheep at noon? For I, for why should I wander around like a prostitute among your friends and their flocks? Well, the young man finally speaks. If you don't know, O most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock and graze your young goats by the shepherd's tents. You are as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. How lovely are your cheeks, your earrings set them afire. How lovely is your neck, enhanced by a string of jewels. We will make for you earrings of gold and beads of silver. 
And the young woman replies, The king is lying on his couch, enchanted by the fragrance of my perfume. My lover is like a sachet of myrrh lying between my breasts. He is like a bouquet of sweet henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. And he says, How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful your eyes are like doves. And she replies, You are so handsome, my love, pleasing beyond words. The soft grass is our bed, fragrant cedar branches are the beams of our house, and pleasant-smelling firs are the rafters. Chapter 2, she continues, I am the spring crocus, blooming on the Sharon plain, the lily of the valley. And he says, like a, he agrees, like a lily among thistles is my darling among young women. Man, that's a compliment right there. Like a lily among thistles is my darling among young women. And then she says, like the finest apple tree in the orchard, my lover among other men. I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. He escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. Strengthen me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples, for I am weak with love. His left arm under my head and his right arm embraces me. Woo! Man, what a, what, a, what a passage of scripture, right? This is in the Bible, and uh, maybe you didn't realize that. So here's our big idea that we're going to build on for our time together in the next few minutes, and it's this. Godly relationships aren't boring, but godly relationships care more about what God says than what the culture says, okay? Godly relationships aren't boring, but care more about what God says than what the culture says. So... There's not, I don't say there's any like you know, perfect steps that everybody can follow for perfect relationships, but I do find as we pull out from Song of Songs, there are, you can find four steps here to a godly relationship. And that's what I want to share with you today. Four steps to a godly relationship. Step number one is recognize godly character. You start, if you want to have a godly relationship, you start by recognizing godly character. When I think about um, how people meet up today, uh, really uh, dating sites have become a big thing. And I and I kind of like, you know, my generation would kind of scoff at that until I realized there are a number of folks that I know personally who are my age or close to my age who met the person that they are um, married to now for, for several decades through some kind of chat room or through pen writing, writing pen pal letters or some way. And so it's not really a new thing, although it's much more common now, you know, things like Tinder and I don't know all the dating apps and, and I don't need to know them. Um, I don't need it. I don't need a dating app. I don't, because I'm not damn dating my wife and we already know each other. Um, but like, you know, even like ChristianMingle.com. Now I know that's one because I saw the commercials for it, and a couple of years ago it was like I couldn't turn on the TV without seeing a commercial for ChristianMingle.com, and they would say, you know, you know, everybody can find a person, and you know, um, you know, for you know, what they say is on these these apps, I'm forty-ish with good conversation, huggable and romantic, but there's nothing about character, and I know that because. A, a close relative of mine who, before he got married to his wife, spent several years single. And as he began to, how am I going to meet somebody? I work and I go to church. He says, well, I'll try this ChristianMingle.com. And his his uh, report from that was, they don't, there's nothing about character on here. And I'm meeting all these people. I'm meeting all these, 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 these women who I... You know, I, when I look at their profile, they look they look attractive, and plus, you know, the good conversation, huggable, romantic, all that stuff. But when you get to like, you know, within a conversation or one date, you realize their character isn't even on the radar. And so, 
that's a, that's a challenge. So when it comes to sexuality, don't we often focus on the wrong things first? I'm not saying we always focus on the the, the things we focus on are the wrong things, but I think they're the, they are the wrong thing that we focus on first. We focus on things like like you know the age or how how they look or you know are, are they good with conversation? Do they like walks on the beach and do they want children? And those are all important things. They are, but but I'm not saying they're the wrong things, but they're the wrong things to focus on first. First, what about his character, ladies? What about his character? What kind of guy is he? Men, what kind of woman is she really? What about their character? Let's focus on that first, and then let's get that other stuff in, okay? So look what she says in verse 3. Your name is like perfume poured out. The phrase, your name, refers directly to his reputation or his character. And she says, you have a godly character and a good reputation. Your name is like perfume. It's fragrant. No wonder all the girls want you. Ladies, ladies, the first thing to look at in a man is his character. What's he known for? Because I see this a lot. A girl's willing to settle for a creep. Like all your friends know he's a psycho, but you you see potential. Like, oh, he'll yeah, you know, I can change him. And so I I see that. And guys, guys, if you're looking for a godly girl, what's look for her look at her character. Uh, and also look at who her friends are. Because ladies most often hang out with the girlfriends who are most like them. And I'm talking about character. Not that they have everything in common, because because you know, friends are friends are like any kind of relationship, opposites attract. And we have a few things in common, but what is what is the character of her friends like, and what is her character like? Because here's the reality: when you marry someone, or if you even date someone who does not have a godly character, the odds are super high that you're going to have your heart crushed. This is how important it is. Proverbs twelve four says, "A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones." So, so man, I so 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 that I mean that's a, that's specific in the proverbs, but I think we can apply that to our relationship. You have, you need to have, be a person of noble character, and you need to to find someone recognize godly character. In the progression of the song, she recognizes his godly character, so she starts to open up about her feelings because there's a trust that begins to be built here. So that's step number two is build godly trust. Build godly trust. Back in the day, there was a group called the Temptations. And, and kind of after the fact, I realize it's kind of ironic that I'm you know, using a, a series on godly relationships and using a you know song lyric from from a group that named themselves the Temptations, but but yet the song lyric is is it fits here because they sang this song that said, "I don't need no money, fortune or fame. I got all the riches, baby, one man can claim." Well, I guess you'll say, "What can make me feel this way?" My girl, my girl, right? So they sing this, that more than I trust in money or more than I trust in fame, I trust my lady. Is it possible that a lot of the stats that we read about marriage and divorce, specifically that one, can be linked to the lack of trust, a lack of real trust in our relationships? Look what she says in verse 5. I am dark but beautiful. Dark am I yet lovely. I'm dark as these curtains over here, okay? Please don't stare at me. Working in the sun all day has darkened my skin, and my brothers forced me to work in their vineyards, and I'm neglected in my, my own. Now, when we realize and remember that this is poetry, this is a musical play that, that was... Uh, that, that, that was put out for, for uh, people to enjoy as entertainment. Um, 
we find that there's there's definitely poetic metaphor taking place here. And in the song, when she talks about her vineyard, she's referring to her own body. And you're going to see this, as and this is good to know, because as we go through, we're going to see the vineyard be a, a central part of this Song of Songs. She's saying... Uh, the vineyard represents the physical body. And she's saying, I'm sunburned because I haven't cared for my skin as I should have. Please don't stare at me. I'm, I'm insecure about how my skin looks. She's insecure about how she looks. Now, this could be guy, for guys. A lot of us guys have insecurities, but we, we often fail to realize how insecure um, are, like the ladies are. Guys, it can be difficult for us to understand because sometimes I, I speak for myself. You can meet a girl or you meet a woman and no matter how beautiful she is or how perfect you think she is, she is generally insecure about something. And we need to not, we don't necessarily have to like know all that, but we need to be mindful of it. And we need to, you know, because our role in our role in our relationship to build trust is to love each other through our insecurities. What is she insecure about? What are what is he insecure about? How can you love her or him? How can you love each other through your insecurities? Because that's where real trust gets built. Like I know in my insecurities, like he's not going to prey on that. I know in my insecurities, she's not going to bust me out all the time on that. That I can trust her. I can trust him. So we're going to watch what happens with this couple. They're going to love each other through their own insecurities, and they're going to build trust. And they're going to do this as they practice godly standards. And that's our step three. Practice godly standards. Another great song about relationships from back in the day was sang by Mary Wells. And Mary Wells sang, No muscle-bound man could take the hand from my guy. So we had the temptation singing about my girl. Mary Wells is singing about my guy. No handsome face could ever take the place of my guy. He may not be a movie star, but when it comes to being happy, we are. He See, she sings, I have standards. And it's nothing to do with his looks or his body or his income. What are some standards of our culture? If we were to, if we were to do this, um, you know, you would say, uh, what are some standards the culture has? You could do this like a, uh, like the game show Family Feud. Like they surveyed 100 people, and here's the answer. You, you guess an answer. He has to have what? You know, and the uh, ladies, ladies say a guy has to have what? And you could make a list like a job, uh, uh, um, you know, a car, or, you know, uh, you, could, you and the list could go on. Um, abs, <laughs> A-B-S, abs. Uh, <laughs> uh, you could also say, you know, we surveyed men, and the men said she has to, and you could like, you know, let's be pretty, or, um, you know, you know, have you know, have her own money, you know, the, you know, you, you could make a list, whatever your list would be, of these these things, and the thing is, those are those standards are the standards of the culture, and they're not the standards that God would have for us, because let's look at standards in God in verse seven, she says. Tell me where you're taking your sheep to graze and where you will rest so that I won't have to wander after you like a prostitute. Now, the phrase in Hebrew translates as veiled woman. And if you have a different translation, I'm, I read from the New Living Translation when I preach uh, here at Awakened Church. Um, but if you have a different translation, you may even have the phrase instead of prostitute, veiled woman. And that's literally what it translates as. And it refers to these women who would follow the men around. And when it was convenient, they would offer themselves sexually to the men in exchange for something. Maybe it was for money, maybe it was for food, or maybe it was for a place to sleep, or or whatever, but they that's, that's who this was. And she says, every other girl may throw herself at you, but I'm not going to do that. 
I'm going to have a different standard. And folks, we have to have different standards. Would you agree that a lot of the relationships we see today are less than God's best because God's standards are there because he wants his he wants the best for us. He wants his best for us. And I believe as I look around, a lot of our relationships are less than God's best. If you want to have a godly relationship, there's a different foundation you have to build your relationship on. Different than the world standards. If you're not married, you got to define you have to define this up front. And and here's what we'll not do. Like here's what we'll not do. Here's where we will not go. And these are standards and you say these are standards that we set as we enter into this, you know, Will you be my boo? <laughs> are we going steady? That's you know. Are we going together? These are all the phrases that we used to say, or maybe they still say. And um, you know, as you do, it's like okay. And then you know, you don't ever define what that is. And it's really a smart thing to say. Here's some standards. Here's what we will not do. Here's what we will where we will not go. And these are you know are my standards. And if you want something else, you got to go somewhere else. I mean, we need to need to be people who are okay with uh, not compromising our standards, especially when we have want to have godly standards. Now, certain things we could say, oh, I have this standard, and it may be different for other people. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. And, and it's not uh, it's not what my, my goal, it's not our goal here to give you here are, here's a list, and you have to keep this list. Um, but it is our goal to introduce you to Christ and the Scriptures and for you to spend time connecting with God through, his, through prayer and through reading the Scripture. And He will lead you to those standards. I promise He will do that. that that's a part of being in a relationship with God. Um, and so it may, you know, so say it was a standard that may be different than others. Some people have a standard. I won't even uh, make any kind of physical contact on the first date. And you know what? That may be a little excessive for you, but maybe that's a good standard for that person. And they're going to keep that standard. They need you need to keep that standard. Another person may have a standard that's like, well, I'm okay with handholding or even a kiss on the first date. But if these two people get together, they need to understand what each other's standards are. And if one has a standard that it's okay to hold hands and kiss, and the other one has a standard that, well, I'm not going to kiss, then that person needs to respect the standard. Um, that is just how it will work if you're going to have godly standards and if you're going to make this work at all. So so while we may have some different places we land on, those kind of things, if you want to have a godly relationship, I think there are three musts. And again, you might disagree on this, but for me, I see these as three musts for us. For, number one is you have to say, I will not sacrifice my relationship with God. That's a must. If you're going to have godly relationships, a must is you have to have this standard. I will not sacrifice my relationship with God. I will not sacrifice my relationship with God to get you, and I will not sacrifice my relationship with God to keep you. You also have to uh, another must is I will not compromise God's standards. God has some standards that I'm living by, and I'm not going to compromise those. I don't want to debate them. I don't want to argue them. Here they are, and I'm not going to love my sexual desires more than I love God's standards for me. And you know what? I'm not going to love your sexual desires more than I love God's standards for me. I'm not going to compromise God's standards. These are two musts. Now, there's a third must, and I get in 2020 and going forward, this is kind of uh, this is very countercultural, but I believe it's a must for us if we're going to have godly, stand, truly godly standards and it's this this standard is i will not play house i will not play house back in back in the day uh and i still uh, you know 
Uh, I like the music of Prince. I think Prince was a, a musical genius. He's probably my all-time favorite musical artist. But in the 80s, when I was growing up, he had there was a lot of songs that he had, and I liked every one of them, but there was a lot of them that were, you know, not great content to build yourself, build your relationships on, uh, to build your lifestyle on, or to build your philosophy of life on. And one of those songs I really liked, it was never like a hit song, but it was called I, uh, Let's Pretend We're Married. And I thought, this is a great song. It's got, you can, I love to, you can dance to this. It's cool. And I look back and go, that's really bad advice. Let's Pretend We're Married turns out to be very, very bad advice. If you want to, if you want to pick a song to to kind of have some standards, maybe you should agree with Beyonce and saying, you know, if you like it, you should have put a ring on it. I'm not going to play house. I'm not going to pretend we're married. We're, we're going to do is establish a covenant under God for the things that that need to only take place under a covenant under God. So the Song of Songs actually shows us godly standards, and we see those taking place here. And then the fourth step, and we're going to bring it home here, is we as you have to keep growing, and you grow with godly encouragement. You grow with godly encouragement, and encouragement comes from a lot of times our you know, really our words, our attitudes behind our words, what we say, and how we say it. And so we want to be people who grow in our relationships through godly encouragement. One of the things that 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 happens is culturally is words that we use change over generation to generation. You know, my generation, you know, uh, you know, you you might refer, you know, you, let's say let's just use this scenario. Guys referring to girls as you know a hottie or a, back in the day a tomato, a peach. Um, all, I mean, all kinds of of things. But here's what I've heard recently, and I'm not saying any of those are, are great or okay. What I'm saying is this is where this comes from. It's a generational thing. And recently, I've heard both guys and girls refer to someone as a snack. And I've seen it all over my social media feeds as well. It's like you know, here he, oh look at him looking like a snack. Look at Shorty, look Shorty, Shorty. That's a refer to a girl, I guess. Um, she's looking like a snack. You come in here looking like a snack, and and uh, and it's supposed to be, and I get it. It's supposed to be like a cute compliment, like you look cute, you look delicious, um, something like that. You know, it's supposed to be nice. But when I think about what a snack is, it is not uh, a way to grow with godly encouragement, because a snack is is uh here's a snack okay there is there we have meals you have a full meal you have your course your main meal and it's got different courses and dessert and everything all in one it's one meal a snack is something for in between times okay a snack is something when i just have a craving for something i just need something to help me uh get past this craving okay that's what you're saying to someone when you call them a snack like i just need something to get me past this craving i don't want the i don't i don't want you to be my full course meal i don't want you to be my main what i want you to be is little something where i go into i go in the cabinet when i got a craving and i just see something that catches my eye and i instantly devour it that's what you are to me that's the opposite of godly encouragement <laughs> to refer to someone as your snack you know we you would think oh we'll pick a good healthy snack we'll eat we'll plan it out and my snacks will be apples and and mangoes or something like that but no what happens is i get a craving i go in there and just grab some doritos you're saying i'm a i'm a bag of doritos to you Okay, that's not fair. I know that's that may be silly, and people are going to continue to use that phrase, whether I like it or not. And that's not the point. The point is, we need to take care of our words. Watch our words, because we know this. 
as we try to grow with godly encouragement, what is the importance of words we use in a relationship? How are you using your words in your relationship? Now look what he says to her in verse 9. You are a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. A mare is a female horse. The stallions are the big, the male, big studly horses, right? And what he's, you know, the actual translation from Hebrew into English is like, you are a mare harnessed to Pharaoh's chariot. You're not just hanging out with the stallions. You're harnessed to Pharaoh's chariot. The male horses, the stallions, are are harnessed to Pharaoh's chariot. And he's saying, you work just as hard as any guy, and I see it, and it's attractive. He's encouraging her. Baby, you're a workhorse. <laughs> uh, now, 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 Pharaoh's horses, they were always white. They were considered to be, by the community, godlike. Like, they even believed, like, wrongly believed, that they were, like, gods themselves. Like, the Pharaoh was a god, and his horses were gods, and there was something supernatural going on here. So we take that understanding culturally, bring it back to the metaphor of a, of a play, and a poetry of a play. He says to her, you're like this not only are you a workhorse but you're the best thing this side of heaven you're god's greatest gift to me you see a great godly marriage and great god relationships when you see two people who know how to encourage each other but you see a struggling marriage and struggling relationship what you're going to find is more discouraging words being spoken than encouraging words so she says in verse 13, my lover is like a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. Now that's encouragement. <laughs> in verse 15, he compliments, your eyes are doves. Now, believe it or not, that's a compliment. Your eyes are doves. Remember now, she's been talking about her insecurities, how insecure she is about her looks. And he says, you're beautiful. He, she says, don't look at my skin. My skin is darkened. And he says, you're one of, you're a, you're one of Pharaoh's horses. Like they're always white. And he's like, it's the opposite. Not that you know like it's there's a there's a there's an imagery here it's like your skin isn't that bad i'm i'm not i'm i'm attracted i i you're beautiful is what he's saying and he says your eyes are dove if he's talking about her eyes where is he looking in her eyes He's not looking at other other parts. He's looking at, in her eyes to say your eyes are doves. He's not looking at the the TV or the phone. He's looking at her in her eyes. And she replies, "How handsome is my lover." See, they encourage each other and they build trust as they encourage each other. So in her life, and we can pull this out and apply this to our relationships, the results of encouragement in her life are she feels special. In, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, she says, I'm the rose of Sharon, a lily of the valley. See, in chapter 1, she feels insecure, right? Like, uh, don't even look at me. I'm like the, I'm, I'm basically curtains. And in chapter 2, she feels special. I'm like a flower blooming in the valley. Men, one of the greatest things you can do for our ladies is to let them know how special they are. And it goes both ways, absolutely. And the result of encouragement in her life is also she feels secure. She feels special. She feels secure. In verse 3 of chapter 2, she says, My lover is an apple tree in the forest. She says, I delight to sit in his shade. What was she insecure about? Again, her skin from working in the sun all day. What does she say? You're, you give me shade. You protect me. I feel safe with you. So not to get lost in arguing about gender roles, that's not what I'm here for, but here's how the Song of Songs depicts the male role in this play, the Song of Songs. Guys, you are pastor. You are the pastor. That, means, that doesn't mean you're, you're uh, uh, you know, a, 
uh, you stand in front of people. You're not a preacher. It doesn't mean you're you're a Bible scholar. It means you lead your family by God's standards. You are a spiritual leader, guys. This is what it says here. It, this, that's what we can pull out of this. You are to be a pa- pastor. Means a shepherd. It's the same word. You are to shepherd in your relationships. You're also a provider. Now, she may work, and she may be the one who balances the, the, the bank account and pay the bills. Lord knows that's how, the only way it really works in my house is for uh, Shelly to take that role. And she may even earn more than you as far as what, what the job pays. But I'm going to tell you something. You are, your value is not determined by how much you make. And so don't get, don't get trapped in that. What it means to be the uh, uh, guys you are a provider, it means you do your part to build financial stability. You take your part to build. And for me in my household, my part is to do my job. My, my part is to encourage my wife to find a, to be fulfilled in her job. And my, my job is to help her as she balances the, the, the bank books and pays the bills by not just willy-nilly doing stuff with our finances okay and so that's a way you can be a provider and guys you are a protector and i know we live in 2020 and and uh, kind of the first thing people want to say is i don't need no man to protect me uh, I don't need a protector. And I'm not talking about uh, that traditional sense or that traditional role. I'm talking about gu- when you guard her heart. You guard their their heart physically, emotionally, spiritually. You guard the words you say. You guard uh, what you say to her, what you say about her. This is what I'm talking about, protecting. You protect her heart by, contr- by, by being smart, by being uh, loving and caring and godly by how you say what you say. So what is, what's the next steps? What are, what are your next steps? Um, here would be my encouragement. If you're married... Commit to engage every week in this series to come back, whether you're you're here in Natchitoches and you're here at Parkway Cinema where we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m., or if you're joining us online, uh, or if you're listening to the podcast, I, I, I encourage you to commit to every week. I'm going to invest my marriage by, by getting this content and looking for how can I apply it, praying for God, how can I apply this? If you're not married... I would say do the same thing. Commit to engage every week in this series for the next uh, today and the next five weeks, and invest in preparing yourself for one day. You may be. I'm not even ready to think about marriage or talk about marriage. I'm not even dating anybody right now. But I'm telling you, prepare yourself today for that one day. You should be true to your spouse, even if you haven't met them yet. All right, Lord, help us. Lord, we need help. We need. We need. Uh, you have godly standards, and Lord, we want to live by them. Lord, we want to have godly relationships. I don't know anybody who is a follower of Christ who would say, I want to have a relationship, but I don't care about it being godly. You know, we want to have godly relationships. The struggle is we often don't know what that is, how that looks, because we don't really invest ourselves in it, and we just go by the default, which is the world standard. So, Lord, help us to live by your standards, not by the world standards. Help us to follow after uh, the, the direction you give us, Lord, for each and every one of our lives in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. It's our hope that you have been encouraged by today's message. Find out more about Awaken Church at awakenla.church or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AwakenChurchLA.